You're listening to the Fervent Church Podcast, a church in the Austin area who exists so that people may know Jesus. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in your relationship with Jesus today. For more teachings, information, or to support our ministry, please visit fervent.church. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we thank you for this time we can come here today, tonight, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us now as we make time for your word, God, and make time to hear what your word says, God. I pray that you would give us understanding, Lord, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit in abundance, Lord, and that you'd just give us insight and wisdom to know what it is that you are saying to us tonight, Lord. And I pray that you would stir something up in us. God, stir something up. Show us something new that we could see the world and we look to the world and we would say, no, they got it twisted. They got it wrong. They're trying to make the church and you look foolish, God. But God, give us something tonight. Give us a desire, a heart, a scripture that would just fuel us in this next week. God, we give you this time and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight's message title, if you guys take notes at all, is, I mean, Jesus verified, but it's Jesus verified through temptation. Jesus verified through temptation. The series we've actually just started last week, and if you've missed any of the teachings, you can find them on um, fervent.church, which is our website. You can find it on our YouTube channel, as well as Spotify and Apple um, Podcasts. But it's Jesus verified. That's the series we've dove into last week. And so the reason why is because, I mean, for one, you look at the world and there's many things in the world that just verify who you are. Take email accounts, for example. You forget your email password and you're trying to figure it out, right? What happens is they they have a little forgot password link. It sends you a text message with a little verification code. And what it's doing is it's verifying that you are who you say you are. Bank accounts, again, the same thing is true. Sometimes when I'm logging in on my computer, you go in to try to just check your bank account, and you're like, why is it asking me 100 questions? It's my bank account. Let me just see what I got. All right, but then it sends you a little text code with the six-digit thing, and then you had to type it into the computer because it's verifying you are who you say you are. Jobs, the same is true. You check references to verify they have the experience. Social media, as we talked about last week, they have verification where it's just they, this celebrity, this pro athlete, whoever it is, musician, they are who they say they are so that when they post something, it's not like, oh, I, I think this is uh, you know, Justin Bieber or whatever. It's like, no, this is actually him. It's the verified account so that you can know if you will, but that's a silly example, really. But we're diving into Jesus verified because what I believe or what I hope that you would come to see is through Mark's gospel is that Jesus is verified. He is who he said he is. He he claims to be God in Scripture, so make no mistake about that. And if you want to have a conversation, we can talk about it later. But many people say, oh, Jesus never said he was God. It's like my response would be like, have you read the Bible, though? Have you actually read through the gospel accounts? It's pretty clear. Why are these guys so angry? Why are they trying to put him to death constantly, put him in prison constantly? Because he claimed to be God. And so he is who he claimed to be. He is God. Jesus lived. He died. He rose again. He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's the promised one in the Old Testament that the Jews were waiting for fulfillment. Like Jesus is verified. 
He's the one that the whole Bible is about. And so our response as we look through Mark and we see verified accounts, we're going to see people coming, verifying Jesus. We're going to have eyewitness accounts. And so for some of you, you know, in in the police office, um, or not office, but police line of work, like, you know, an eyewitness account is a good witness for the most part, right? I don't know. But it's like, like if they were there, and then the more eyewitnesses, you get the bigger picture of the story as you can start to piece together what actually happened. And so Mark is just one story, but it's filled with different eyewitnesses, different people coming in and out of the story, verifying that Jesus is the Son of God, the promised one, the Messiah, the everlasting Prince of Peace. And so our response at the end of it is, we should be able to just be like, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, I, can, I have confidence that Jesus is who he says he is, that the Bible is true. And so we're going to look at tonight, um, again, is Jesus verified and Jesus verified through temptation. And let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So now what you need to know, that's our main text for tonight, and I know it's very short, very sweet, is what you need to know tonight is that Mark is written for like the fast pace. If you look through just the first chapter or so, and read through it for homework, it's like immediately this, immediately that. Then they went here, then they went there. It's like always on the move. And what I would say is Mark was written for our day and age. Like the busy, on the move people, we don't have much time. We're like, hey, tell me what I need to know quickly. Let me get it down so I can be on my way. It's like almost written for like the ADD person. Like we're not going to spend too much time here. I'm just going to tell you the bullet point and then we're going to move on to the next one. Then we're going to move on to the next one. So when you read through these two verses... Mark's just like speeding through and it's like almost like, oh, it just happened in the blink of an eye. Jesus went to the wilderness, was tempted, and the angels ministered to him. Okay, awesome. What's next? But it's much deeper than that. Um, So while it's two verses here, uh, Matthew and Luke actually expand upon it. And we're going to look at Matthew's account in chapter uh, 4. But here's the premise. Here's the background. If you missed last week or you, you're unfamiliar with just the gospel in general, is the, the premise is this, that Jesus came to earth. John says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's God came to mankind uh, on earth. He's the promised one, as we saw last week. He is the Messiah, the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40 and many other scriptures. And last week, what we saw is John the Baptist, the last, I mean, we could say the last prophet of the Old Testament before Jesus came. He was proclaiming that Jesus was God. So that's what we missed. If you missed last week, you missed that Jesus basically came on the scene. There's prophetic words in the Old Testament 600, 700 years prior to Jesus coming into fulfillment in, in uh, exact detail. Um, John the Baptist preparing the way for him, telling everyone to repent because God's coming, basically. And he says that when he sees Jesus, he says, that, that guy right there, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so that's what we saw. And then it ended with Jesus' baptism. So Jesus was baptized. And for me, when I'm thinking through it, I'm like, well, Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect. Why did he need to be baptized? Well, last week we saw in Matthew uh, 3.15, he says to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. So if, he, if Jesus is going to call us to live a life of righteousness, doesn't it make sense that he would first model it for us? 
If he's going to call us later, hey, pick up your cross and follow me, wouldn't that mean that Jesus at some point needs to pick up his cross and go somewhere? Right? It's like if he says, hey, you need to repent and believe and you need to be baptized, it's like Jesus is going to model that way. He's going to model the way we should live. And so he does it himself. He's baptized. When he's baptized, is, uh, we see the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him and the Father speaks, says, this is my son. In other words, this is the one who we've been waiting for, who Scripture's all about, who we've been waiting since the creation of uh of earth in Genesis 1, like, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so Jesus, again, he's baptized. What I will say is I, I don't believe and we don't believe that you need to be baptized to be saved. Okay, and I just want to make that clear. Baptism is a truth. Um, and what I mean by that, it's like it's part of the truth. So Jesus would say, you know, repent and believe, be baptized. But again, my argument for that would be, what about the thief on the cross? The thief on the cross, when Jesus is being crucified, he's crucified in between two thieves. They're both kind of making fun of him. And then one guy at some point along the line of being killed, he's like, I don't know. I think he is who he says he is. And he says to, to him, he says, remember me. Jesus says, like, basically, don't worry. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Like at that moment, there's not like, oh man, you repented and you believed. But man, dude, you're hanging on a cross. You can't be baptized. So I'm sorry, you you miss out. No. It's like baptism is something that you get to do. It's something that you should do. It's a product of salvation, not a a means to salvation. Does that make sense? And so I just want to be clear about that. Um, But if you can be baptized, you definitely should be. um, Because why wouldn't you want to proclaim your new life in Christ? When you realize who Jesus is, that he died for you, that he rose again, that he's making a place in heaven for us and he's going to come back and get us. Like for us, when we're baptized, we're like, I'm with him. Like, yeah, dunk me underwater. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so we get dunked under there, just signifying we're dying to ourselves. And we come up like Jesus, resurrection to new life. And we're going to live this new life of righteousness after Jesus. And so Jesus was baptized um, and just off the bat, what we saw last week is Jesus verified, one by Scripture, fulfilling Isaiah chapter 40, right? Again, written 600, 700 years before that, which is just pretty amazing and incredible. We saw Jesus verified by humans, man, uh, Mark, for one. He is the one writing this account, so he's verifying that Jesus is who he says he is. But also John the Baptist. We see John the Baptist proclaiming that he is the Christ. And then we see Jesus verified by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That's pretty intense. That's pretty intense. And so tonight, we're going to carry on on this... um, this theme of verification. And we're going to see Jesus verified through temptation. So now, in starting out, you might ask yourself, what does temptation have to do with verifying Jesus? And I'd say that's a good question. That's one where I'm kind of thinking. But here's the thing is that we serve a personal God. We serve one who knows us. He knows our weaknesses. And he knows what it's like to be tempted. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 14, it says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in a time of need. How amazing is that? See, we, again, Scripture is telling us that we serve a God who understands. He says that we serve a high priest, Jesus, that, that has been tempted as we are, yet here's the thing, here's the difference, is that he is without sin. He lived a perfect life. He became sin so that we might become his righteousness, but that doesn't mean that he did sin. Okay? And that's, that's just an incredible verse there. So he was tempted as we are. We serve a God who knows what we're going through. And that's significant. And that's really, honestly, it's huge. Because um, maybe, maybe for you, maybe like me, there's points in my life where I didn't want to pray to God. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to ask for prayer. I didn't want to ask for counsel because really, honestly, I didn't feel like anyone understood my struggle. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know I need help, but they don't understand. I know I should talk to someone, but they're just going to look at me crazy. Right? Growing up, I didn't want to talk to some, my, like my parents about some issues in my life. Right? So for me, I struggle with drugs and alcohol and those types of things. And I didn't want to bring those up to them. I felt like they don't understand. They're just going to tell me you need to go to church and talk to your pastor or something. Right? But later I come to find out my dad actually knows very much of my struggle. And, and I just, again, this tonight is like if you're struggling, you're being tempted. It's like God knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows you. He made you for a plan, for a purpose. And um, he wants to help you, as that last verse says, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you in need tonight? We, we can come before the throne of God and find that help. But, but temptation verifies Jesus in a way. Um, because for one, it, it tells us that if he's been through it, it's like it gives us someone to trust. But here's another thing. Temptation verifies because the very fact that you're tempted shows us that there's a right and a wrong, right? Your conscience bearing witness to, I shouldn't do this, but I kind of want to, but I know I shouldn't, right? It's telling you something that there is a right and wrong, and God has actually placed that inside of you. So it's evidence that there's a battle going on for our souls every day, um, now, again, Mark is a high-speed gospel, gets you what you need to know um, as quick as possible so he can get you out, living your abundant life in Jesus' name. Um, but we're going to slow it down, and we're actually going to look at this temptation. So flip to Mark chapter uh, 4, where we'll primarily be for the remainder of the night here. Matthew, yeah, did I say Mark? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, just take your pick. Oops. Actually, Luke is chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. It's like the same thing. So, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And so it's the same account. It's just kind of we get more details. We get a different perspective. Um, and we'll see a little bit more than what Mark gives us. So verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. And again, to just compare it to Mark chapter 1, verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So like Mark or Matthew already gives us some more details. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so let's just kind of break this down. Break it down. So Jesus was baptized. And this is what I really, I, I want you to understand if you get nothing else, is Jesus was baptized. For you and I, just think about it. If you've been baptized or if you're going to get baptized, like that's one of the first things you do as you become a Christian. That's like, hey, I'm a Christian now. I want everybody to know it. I'm baptized. 
So just think about that. Like Jesus, this is the start of his ministry. He's baptized. The very next thing that happens, and I love Mark's words because he says immediately Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Right? It's like, so, th- so just look at the picture there. Look at the sequence of events. Uh, a profession or... I mean, for us, it's like we're, we're proclaiming Jesus, but Jesus is like, he's starting his ministry. I am who I am, right? He's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes down, the Father speaks, and then the very next thing is he's led into the wilderness to be tempted. Can I just tell you that your Christian life, as you proclaim Jesus, and especially like if you're brand new, like I, I have to tell you, it's not going to be full of easy-going, blessed um, days, you know? And so Jesus was immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's just an odd thing, right? It's like, wouldn't you have a celebration? Let's get together. Let's have a dinner and let's celebrate your baptism. And maybe some of your friends or your family did that when you were baptized. But instead, God leads him to the wilderness. And again, this is a great lesson for us to learn here. Again, when you decide to follow Jesus or become a Christian, most times, I would say, life doesn't get like better maybe for a minute like maybe you got joy but trials are going to start to come see oftentimes god will start to lead you into a season of of wilderness if you will into a season of testing there's actually many examples of this so if you think i'm i'm crazy and you're like okay nick where are you going with this it's like just think about paul Paul in Acts chapter, or Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, um, what we see from Paul here is he talks about his conversion. Um, do we have this on the screen here? Galatians 1, 15. It says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, so this is Paul speaking of Jesus, says, And who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I just want to note that there. Like Paul's like, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. So I just want that to be known. I didn't go out anywhere. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Next verse. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Because some of the guys are probably like, oh, well, you went to church, didn't you, Paul? Like you got saved and you went to church. He says, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Next verse. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. And so that's interesting. And I, for me, it's like we get this idea from Scripture. Well, Paul, you're just a superstar. Yeah, you did some bad things, okay? Yeah, you were persecuting the church. And you may have killed some people and influenced other people to kill people. But Jesus got a hold of your life, Paul, and he changed you, man. And you were just a rock star for Jesus, preaching the gospel. And people were just coming, coming in the thousands kind of thing. That's what, we, what I think sometimes with Paul. But when we look at Scripture, we find that that's not the case. Paul was saved, and if you know anything about him, his name was Saul beforehand, and he was a, um, a Sadducee. He was, he was a Pharisee. I think he was part of the Sanhedrin, and he was a Pharisee. In one part in Scripture, he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees or something like that. And it's just, so what he's saying is, like, I was educated, Talks about one point, I was educated under the feet of Gamaliel. And he's like, he's boasting there. He's like, if, I got, if you got something to boast, I got more to boast about. And Paul's like, I was smart. I was educated. I had it all together. I knew the Old Testament. I knew the Torah. Like, and so Paul, or Saul, beforehand, going out, he was so zealous 
that he was trying, he would come into our church today and be like, this is blasphemous, this is not what God wants, and he would try and bring officials with, the, with him to put us in prison for preaching what we're preaching today. That's what Paul was doing beforehand. But then God got a hold of his life, right? If you know the story, he blinded him at one point, and then he had to go, and, and God speaking to him, he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I, I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. Um, so anyways, he comes to Jesus. And so what I believe is like, man, Paul has this theology that he's been living, believing, um, pursuing for many years. And so now God's like, he gets a hold of his life and he gets him out into the wilderness. Takes him out into Arabia for a period of three years. Because just imagine it, Paul's probably just literally mind blown right now. Like, wait a second, I thought I was right. I gave my life to persecute the church because I was trying to show them what I thought was the right way. And now all of a sudden, these three years, man, just imagine it. God's like, I need to get you alone, Paul. You can't go talk to anybody. Your, your mind and your life is so screwed up right now. We need to pull you out. I need to re-upload your theology here, re-update it, because you're a little behind. Jesus is my son, right? It's like, and he is the savior. And so we see Paul become this follower of Jesus, and then he's led into the wilderness. Okay, that was the point that I was trying to make there. I got a little too excited about it. Um, and the next point is the Israelites is just another example. The Israelites are freed from Egypt, right? They're slaves in Egypt. I think it's Exodus chapter 12 where they're actually um, let free, let go. And immediately they go into the wilderness. And you guys probably know how many years they're in the wilderness. 40 years. Um, I mean, that should ring a bell to you a little bit, but it's probably a lot longer than God had intended for them. But the, the point being, they were freed, and then there's this season of wilderness where God's teaching them, I'm your provider. Yeah, I know life was comfortable in Egypt, but I'm going to get you through to the promised land. So there's this, this idea here, just throughout Scripture, these examples, that as we make a clear choice to follow Jesus, there often comes... Uh, a season of wilderness, a season where we are alone with God, and that's a good thing. It's a, it's, it's a good thing. And so Jesus was led into the wilderness, and if you go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Tempted by the devil. And that's a word that I love to just kind of key in on. So tempted could be translated also tested. And I think that might be a better translation for us today because I think we would just think tempted and we think immediately like um, evil, sinful connotation type of thing. Tested, if you're like to be tested, you're like, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right? And so that's what I would say is that being tempted is not necessarily a bad thing. Being tested is not a bad thing. Being tried where it's like, um, I mean, Jesus, he's, he's put to the test. James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this about being tested, about trial. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Isn't that just interesting? Right? I mean, for the non-believer coming in here one day, they're like, wait, count it all joy? when you meet trials of various kinds, we're just like, that doesn't make sense, right? And if I have the next verse there, he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So why can't I count it all joy, right? It's like, that's crazy. My trials, being tempted, being tested, it doesn't sound fun. And so, and, but James is like, count it all joy because when you are tested, your faith is getting stronger, 
Testing is part of the Christian life. Testing verifies that you have faith at all. It's easy to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But then all of a sudden when you got someone who's coming in and he's trying to, to uh, ridicule you, they're trying to knock you down, or if you're in another country, they're trying to kill you, then all of a sudden it's like, do you really got faith now? Testing verifies your faith. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is a verse that I, I, I just love because there was a season in my life I became a Christian. I gave my life back to Jesus. I was probably about 22 years old. Um, and I was all in. Like, God, I'm all in. Whatever you want to do, you tell me and I'll do it. I start serving. I start doing Bible study with people. But at the same time, some of my best friends, like homies, like ride together, die together type of people, at least I thought we were, they started to leave, right? And so I'm like, God, what, what's going on? Why are they acting like they don't know me? Why are they not responding to my phone call? Why aren't they texting me back? Why aren't they doing any of this stuff? And then I read this verse, do not be surprised at the fiery trial as though something strange were happening to you. Fiery trial, not just like an easy little trial. A hard trial. And for me, it was hard at that point because I'm like, God, I gave my life to you. Now I feel like everything good that was in my life is being taken away. And for me, it was a season of loneliness with the Lord. And I believe it was a good thing where God's like, are you going to rely on me? Are you going to trust in me? And so don't be surprised when trials come as though something strange were happening. It's normal. There's nothing wrong if you feel tempted. Can I tell you that? I just need to let you know that, that being tempted is not a sin. Temptation often leads to sin, and there's a difference there. But being tempted, you can't really do anything about it. As a matter of fact, what I would say, just in light of um, what I said earlier, is that temptation um, is evidence that you have that, there's that good and wrong. I would say that temptation is evidence that you probably have faith. That you're probably pursuing Jesus in some way, or, or Jesus is pursuing you all of a sudden. When you start to realize that you are being tempted and tested, because before you cared anything about Jesus, being tempted was not being tempted. It was just living life. Like, oh, I'm just fell into temptation. No, you didn't fall into temptation. That's what you do. You just you get drunk and you lie and cheat and steal and all that stuff. Like beforehand, it wasn't anything bad to you. But then once you give your life to the Lord, all of a sudden, those things where you're like, man, why am I tempted to do these things? See, temptation's evidence that God's doing something, that He's working in your life. Um, going back to Matthew chapter 4, um, going back to verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. Rightfully so, right? We would all be. I go about 40 minutes and I'm hungry sometimes. That's um, a joke, but a little bit serious. Uh, and it says, And the tempter came, verse 3, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So let's pause there for a second. So after being baptized, Jesus that is, Satan comes on the scene. He comes on the scene, right? And so it's just like Adam and Eve, too, in Genesis, when all of a sudden God did something good. Like, do you notice that when Adam was alone, Satan wasn't on the scene? Once there's this marriage and this um, institution of marriage from God Almighty, then the, the enemy comes. That's what I t tell some of the people I do premarital counseling for. It's like, 
Satan didn't come until they were married. Like, you think it's hard now? <laughs> like, and that's, that's probably really discouraging, but uh, I'm just trying to be real, real. Like, it's just like, Satan's going to attack you more. He doesn't like marriage, especially doesn't like godly marriage. Okay, and so he, Satan comes on the scene here. He's baptized, makes a, a proclamation, whatever we want to call it for Jesus, right? That he is starting his ministry, and then Satan comes to try and tear it down. And what he does here, just one of his tactics, he says, if you are the Son of God. Another translation for that could be even, and maybe some of your Bibles say this, it says, since you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. That's interesting because what Satan's doing there is he's appealing uh, to Jesus, to the, the truth, and he's trying to provoke him to action. He's trying to basically say, well, like, hey, since you're all high and mighty God and all that stuff, like, why don't you just make these stones um, bread, right? And it's like it's an appeal to who Jesus is. And, um, and so that's, that's what he tries to do. He tries to attack him with that. Verse 4, Jesus answered, or... Yeah, Jesus answered. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. From every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so I love Jesus' reply, and this is a tactic that we need to put on our tool belt. All right, It's like when Satan comes and tries to tempt you, and he'll try to appeal to you, like, hey, since you got this or that, Hey, since you got some good reputation with those people, you know, why don't you try and do this? Hey, since you got some money. But Jesus would reply, it is written. First question is, do you even know what's written in the Bible? I mean, obviously there's a lot in it. But if we don't know it, we're at a serious disadvantage. If we don't know what God's Word says, Satan will twist it and he will use it against us. So Jesus says, it is written. Jesus answers with God's word. When Satan comes knocking, Jesus comes back with God's word just straight up. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what a great thing for us to hear today is that you and I, we shouldn't live from just bread and food alone. If, you aren't, if that's you and that's all you're doing and you're not feeding your soul, you're dying spiritually. You're dying spiritually. Jesus is saying there, it's like they're, they're both important. They're both necessities, essentials, if you will, right? We've got to be taking care of our spirit and soul, too. And so that's what he's telling Satan is there's things more important than just food. And God's word is definitely one of them. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, this is Satan, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Satan comes back, number two, remember this, please, uh, throughout life, is when one temptation comes, that's not going to be the last one. It's not going to be, oh, whew, I got past it, we're good, and then no more temptation. No, Satan's relentless. He's going to come again. He might leave for a season, it says, to resist the devil, and he will flee from you, but he's going to come back again. Temptation will come back. And so he comes back to Jesus, and he tells him, uh, throw yourself off the temple. And then the interesting thing here, he, again, he, he appeals to Jesus' nature, if you are the Son of God, like challenging him. But again, another translation would say, since you are... 
the Son of God. Throw yourself off. And then he says, for it is written. Satan quotes scripture. That's one of his tactics. That's one of the enemy's tactics. That's one of the world's tactics when there's people who just kind of, they know enough Bible to talk the lingo, right? But it's like they will quote it and mis, misrepresent God. Again, that's where I'm like, man, I want to show the world the true church. Like, hey, we don't know it all and got it all together, but God does. It's all here in Scripture. But the world and people attacking you, they'll try and take... When, they, when you judge them or something judgmental-esque, it's like, I thought uh, you're not supposed to judge. Like, don't judge me because only God can judge me. Like, that kind of thing. And, and there is evidence for that in Scripture, right? But it's like, that would be an instance of someone saying that. But then they don't know, most people don't know, actually, it's either First or Second Corinthians. Paul says, of the people of the church, we are to judge. Like if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm living in the life, I'm in the light, I'm following Jesus, Paul would say, no, we are supposed to judge each other in the church because we got to hold each other accountable. He says, but those outside the church, I don't got anything to do with them. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, so for me, again, everybody's welcome here. But when you start to say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I believe in this. And it's like, OK, well, does your life align with that? And this isn't to say that you won't fall into sin. But again, it's just like. That's an, that's an example of Scripture taken out of context to try and defend a, a worldly view. Like, well, don't judge me. I, I thought you weren't supposed to judge and whatever. You know, it's like, well, actually, the Bible says we should. And, and even Jesus says, he says, before you try and judge someone and take the speck out of their eye, take the log out of your own. And so he doesn't say don't take the speck out. He says, check yourself first and then help your brother. Anyways, that's a tangent. Not in my notes, but you're, you're welcome. It's good, right? <laughs> but Satan takes it out of context. For it is written. And this is why it's important. If you don't know the Bible, Satan's going to come tell you a little bit of Bible, and it's going to be easy to believe. Because he'll make it sound right. And you'll go to the Scripture, and you'll be like, it does say that, though. Wow, crazy. But if we don't know all of it, we're not living by every word, Jesus says, every word that comes from the mouth of God, not just some of the words. It's like we can be misled, we can be caught off guard, and we can be led into temptation, which will lead to sin, which will lead to death. Verse 8, or 7, Jesus said to, to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And there we see Jesus battling Scripture, if you will, with Scripture. And that's an important thing to know about when you're reading the Bible is you interpret Scripture with Scripture, which I know it sounds weird, sounds maybe um, contradicting, but it's like when you're looking at something, it's like, okay, well, what does this mean? It's like, well, when you look at other Scripture about God's character or what He has said beforehand, He's not going to contradict Himself. So... We use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So even though Satan quotes this, Jesus knows more Scripture and says, but it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Something interesting there just tells us a little bit about Satan. And, and I think some would think, that, oh, he's lying lying, but I, I believe this is a fallen world. The scripture says that, that Satan is the ruler of this world. 
And so when he's showing Jesus the kingdoms, he's like, all this I'll give to you. And I believe that like all that he could have given to Jesus, but it's all worldly things. My pastor back home, Robert Furrow, he, he said before, it's like, if you want to see uh, more of God, you look to nature. If you want to see more of Satan in the world, you look to kingdoms. And I just thought that was interesting. I'm like, that is pretty true. Like when you look at creation, it speaks of God. But when you look at kingdoms that rise and fall, there's so much evil and twistedness of all up in that. So when he's saying, bow down to me, Jesus, and I'll give you all these kingdoms, I believe he really means it. I mean, he probably didn't, wasn't going to give them to him. But what I'm saying is that he did have those in his possession. And so he promises kingdoms. It says, then Jesus said, verse 10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Him only shall you serve. So he goes on it, and he says, Be gone, he says, for it is written, bringing it back to the word. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about being armed for battle and spiritual battle. And one of the most important things is the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. It's our greatest weapon, I would say, besides the Holy Spirit Himself, right, is the Word of God. It's our greatest weapon against temptation. When, Jesus, or when Satan comes, you take Jesus' Word and you say, no, but he, He's told me to love my neighbor as, my, as myself. I know what my neighbor did. I know what they deserve, right? It's like, that's what Satan wants. But they did this to you. They said that about you man, you're going to let them get away with that? It's like, but we're like, oh man, you're right. But then we remember scriptures like, well, I'm supposed to forgive them. I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. I'm supposed to love them. And so, so he'll, he'll get us all riled up. And so we got to use God's word to fight back and um, the sword of the spirit, our greatest weapon. Psalms 119, jot this down for, for just to memorize, really. 119 verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you go through studying this, and I learned this actually in Bible college, it blew my mind. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, but it's like the one chapter all about God's word, and it's just quite amazing. It's so full, so deep. But he says, answers that question, how can a young man keep his way pure? The answer, by guarding it according to your word, God's word. And then that last one, he says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are we storing up scripture in our heart? Are we gearing up for when Satan comes and tries to tempt us? Are you preparing yourself for battle? Because you will be tempted you will be tested at some point. And then verse 11, it says this in Matthew 4. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And so Jesus withstands temptation three times. Satan comes with some rather good arguments, if you will. And I think for the average person who knows nothing about the Bible, they would probably fall into a lot of those traps. But Jesus uh, combats it with God's word withstands, perseveres, and the devil left him. The devil left him. And here's the thing, is the devil will leave in time. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, 
If you have a Bible, I would just underline that. Be watchful. Too many people aren't watching what's going on in the world. They're not aware of their surroundings. Be sober-minded, and that's, again, that's a huge one. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that's just something you need to know. It's like, that's Satan right now. That's what he's doing. Out on the streets, he's looking for anyone to devour. He doesn't care. He doesn't play favorites. Anyone. Right? And he says this, resist him. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He says, resist him. Resist him. See, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Temptation's going to come. And again, temptation's not bad. Temptation is testing you. What will you do? And so when temptation comes, we must endure and push through. And it helps, and I love that verse where he says, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Satan would want you to think that you're the only one who struggles with whatever you struggle with. You're alone in your suffering. You're alone in your temptation and your sin. But then God would say, no, that sin, man, that's, that's common to all men. That's very common, right? It's not to say that it's okay, but he's saying you're not alone. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. He says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I love that. My mom would tell me sometimes uh, growing up, struggling with drugs and partying and stuff, she's like, Nick, sometimes the the um, way of escape is the door. You know, and that was like a light bulb moment. It sounds so stupid right now, like looking back, but I was all, you know, you're right. Like there's a sign that says exit. I'm like, hey God, how do I get out of here? He's like, exit right there. And I'm just, anyways, it, that was something that would just convict me and plague me all of my party in life. I'm like, I could leave right now. Anyways, that's just a little bit of me. But uh, the God will provide a way of escape for you. So when you're tempted, it's not like, oh, I can't handle this. God won't let you be tempted with more than you can handle. Scripture also says, I don't think I added this one into the notes, but he says that God is not the one who tempts you. It's in James chapter 1, I believe. He says, God tempts no one. It's like the Satan will tempt you. And Satan, this is what, and we could go on another study of this, Satan has to get God's permission to tempt you, essentially. A clear example of it is Job. Job is like rich and blessing and everything is great. And then um, Satan comes up to heaven one day, essentially is how the story goes. And, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? Right. And for me, I'm like, that's a great compliment. But the worst thing you could ever say, like, God, just don't talk to Satan about me, please. Um, you know, if I'm doing good, that's awesome. But just keep that between you and me. Have you considered my servant Job? And then Satan's like, he only loves you and serves you because you give him everything. You protect him. You got this whole hedge of protection. And so he's like, let me take away all this stuff. He's going to curse you to your face. And then God's like, okay, well, you can, you can basically test him, but don't kill him. You can test him, but don't kill him. And so God will let us be tempted and tested, but God is not the one who is 
tempting or testing us. Does that make sense? I just want you to understand that like God is not trying to get you to fall or fail. He wants to strengthen your faith so he will allow something that he knows on the other side of, of perseverance is going to bring growth, strength, confidence in the Lord, confidence just in your faith that yes, like when you go through some type of temptation and you make it to the other side, it's exciting because you're like, like, yes, like I am a Christian. <laughs> I am doing what I claim to believe. And it's just an exciting thing. And so when temptation comes, it's like, don't be scared. It's like, just look at it as a test. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? In closing today, I just want you to know a few things or just reiterate a few things. Temptation is not sin. Being tempted is normal and it's just proof that god is trying to do something but also proof that the enemy the devil is trying to do something and again temptation is not sin but temptation will lead to sin and temptation is testing of your faith and god allows us to be tested a few scriptures in closing um, i want to hit this one galatians five nineteen, because i just believe this is uh fundamental for us if we don't understand this he says now the works paul's writing this now the works of the flesh are evident in other words the sin of mankind is evident he says sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like these and he says i warn you as i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not those who were tempted to do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he says those who do such things, or other translation would say those who practice these things. You see, we will fall from time to time. We will make mistakes. And I believe that's like, it's okay. That's where we made a mistake. God, I'm sorry. We repent of it. We get up and we keep moving on. But then there's those who live in sin. There's those who, they do such things. They practice this. They would be known for this. This is your lifestyle. And Paul's here, he's concerned about him. He says, those who are living in this, who are giving in to temptation, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And I think that's just a, an important thing to just note. See, there's a lot of Christians out there who are like, oh, but it's hard to be a Christian, you know, and, and they say they're struggling, you know. It's like, but when you look at their life, it's like, are you really, you're not, it doesn't seem like you're struggling, you're just giving in. You know, you're just giving up. You're like, temptation comes, yeah, it's real, I know it, we all know it, everything's common to mankind, but I hear you saying you're a Christian, but I don't see you persevering through any of this. I don't see you fighting temptation. I see you giving in, and so, and Paul would, there, he's like, those who are practicing these things, making a lifestyle, man, be careful. Again, it's not a sin to be tempted, but it's sin to give in to temptation. Understand that there's grace and mercy, forgiveness if you do sin and mess up and give in to temptation. But um, I just wanted to read that scripture just to warn you of making a lifestyle, a habit of it. It's, that is dangerous. The last scripture I want to hit tonight, Matthew chapter 26, and this is just to close us up. Matthew 26, and this is actually right before Jesus goes to be crucified. He's, um, he's, uh, 
he's about to be betrayed by Judas, if you know the story, and then he'll be um, arrested, then he'll go to the cross, he'll die, he's buried, he comes to life again three days later, and then he ascends to heaven. But here, this is right before he's betrayed, and so Matthew 26, verse 36 is actually where I'm going to start reading. He says this, Then Jesus went with them, this is the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with, or taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Verse 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, And he came to the apostles. This is what I want you to see. He came to the apostles after giving clear instruction, mind you. He came to the disciples, sorry, I said apostles, and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, I just think that's so interesting. He doesn't wake them up that time. He doesn't say, hey, what are you doing? Get your act together. He just lets them be. At least that's what we get from this account. He says, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. A couple of things that I just want to note about that, um, that little section of Scripture, and the reason I close with it is to tell us the importance to watch and pray. To, to watch and pray. See, Jesus gives them ex- clear instructions. Sit here and watch for me. Comes back to them and they're sleeping. He says, you can't watch with me for one hour. He says, watch and pray that you may not what? Enter into temptation. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he goes on, he says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, you might have good intentions today. Good intentions to follow Jesus and love others, serve others, go to church. You came to the fervent church today. Good for you. I'm excited about that, but that doesn't get you to heaven. But he says the the spirit indeed is willing. So he's like, you might have good intentions. And Jesus is like, and I know you do. He's like, yeah, you got great intentions. But he's like, don't overestimate your ability to handle temptation. Sometimes we just go into it and we're like, oh, I can handle it. I'm going to go to this party. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to go hang out with my friends over here. No, I'm not going to do what I used to do. Don't overestimate your ability to handle temptation because Jesus says, he says, I know you got good intentions that your spirit is willing, but he says, but I know your flesh is weak. But I know your flesh is weak, and therefore, we must, you and I must, watch and pray. Be watchful of what's going on. As temptation's coming, coming for you, be, be able to, what do you call it, like, recognize temptation when it comes. Like, oh, this is happening? Oh, this temptation. Nope, I'm good. Like, Satan, it's written that I'm not going to get involved in that stuff. 
No, I've been born again, so I'm not going to do that. It's like I've come to life again. So anyways, we want to be watchful for temptation, but we also want to be people of prayer. People who pray to God. Remember that verse he says like that he is, he is, um, what is Hebrews um, 4, but he says, um, can you put it back on the screen? Because I'm not going to be able to scroll through everything. No. Next one. Next one. Next one. There we go. Right there. That's, uh, I didn't want to misquote scripture, right? I didn't want to pull a Satan on you guys. But so, so find grace to help in the time of need. It's like we want to be people who pray because we need help. Like because God, he knows what it's like to be tempted. And so when we come to God and say, God, I'm tempted right now. Help me out. He's like, I will. But you're not going to get that help if you don't call. You're not going to get that help if you don't reach out to God there. And so I just want you to know that as we go out tonight, is like be people who watch and pray. We've got to be aware of our surroundings there. Avoid putting yourself in places of temptation. Be connected with God in prayer because he's our help. And note this, the last thing that Jesus said, he says, The hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. This is what I want you to know is that when we fall into temptation, not when we are tempted, but when temptation turns into sin, that's when we betray Jesus. Giving into temptation is betraying Jesus. And that's a heavy statement, but I want that to just sink in. You need to take that to heart tonight. So watch and pray that this isn't you, that this isn't me. Um, amen? You guys stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are a God who knows what it's like to be tempted. We thank you that you subjected yourself to temptation to show us that you understand. God, I pray that you'd put in our hearts, Lord, a desire to know you more. God, that you'd give us the confidence to come before your, your throne, even though we're unperfect people who messed up. God, help us to come to you and just recognize your love and your forgiveness, God, and that we would just be in awe of you and worship you for who you are. God, we pray that as temptation arises in our life, because we know that it will, God, that you would give us the strength to persevere, to say no to temptation, to answer temptation with your word, God. Give us hearts that would long to know your word more. May we be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And God, would you fill us up, teach us. And uh, as we go out this week, Lord, just protect us, help us to be lights in the world. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.